From BT Digger, I'm Mike Dougherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, it's been one year since George Floyd was killed by police in Minneapolis, sparking rallies for racial justice across the country. In Vermont, these events were mostly led by young Black organizers who brought the movement to towns throughout the second whitest state in the country. A year later, we asked some of these activists what's changed and what hasn't. Hello, Montpelier! Look at you guys, you all showed up! If you could just kind of take me back to that day, you know, you've organized this event on the steps of the State House. There's 5,000 or more people there, you know, and you step up to the mic. What's going through your head? What are you feeling? I've kind of always said that I'm not the biggest public speaker. I'm a little bit more timid and shy. And so that day I just felt some confidence come over me. I don't know if it was like just the moment or... Um, the importance of what was happening or even the people who had showed up. And I just took the mic and really was able to say my speech and say it well. And I have a recording of that day and I was just really shocked that it was me literally like articulating my thoughts and my feelings so clearly for everybody. This is Noelle Ribe Williams. Noelle lives in Burlington. She'll be a senior at UVM next year, but she grew up in Montpelier. Last June, she brought more than 5,000 people to the State House lawn to talk about police brutality. It was really, a sh- it was like <laughs> a four-day notice before. It was a very spur-of-a-moment um, protest. But it was also a spur-of-a-moment moment. Like, everyone around the country was coming together for George Floyd and rallying. So I thought my player had to do that as well. I mean, one of the things that was really unique about your event was it, it- kind of broadened things beyond George Floyd, right? Yeah. You, you talked about this vast number of people who have been the victims of, of police brutality. And I wonder, you know, with that in mind, what was it about George Floyd and that video and that event, you know, that you think really set it apart and that really kind of galvanized this this broader push? I mean, I've had that question been asked before, and I really don't know exactly what it was. I think being filmed on camera and having the whole world see his murder was eye-opening from a lot of people. I think people of color have seen that done over and over again. And I also just think his last words of like screaming for his mom had a huge connection to moms everywhere, white, black, Hispanic, whatever you identify with. And so I just think that people watching that video really woke up and like, it was so clear to see the murder in that event in that video. So I just had to do something. What the death of George Floyd has revealed to this country, you know, I think it showed basically the type of treatment Black people have long experience with law enforcement. Maroney Minter works with the Vermont ACLU and sits on the governor's racial equity task force and the state's ethnic studies coalition. Maroney organized a protest in his hometown of Waterbury last summer. Let me just hear folks here say, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Yes, they do. Uh, and thanks again that day, that was an amazing rally. I think it was reported by VT Digger that we had over 500 people who showed up. And my understanding is it was the biggest rally that you know we've ever had here in Waterbury. So what I was hoping to accomplish is to get as many people, definitely, definitely was not expecting 500 people or over 500 people to come. 
to just really come together and hear uh, about the pain that so many of us Black folks or were and are still going through and uh, after witnessing the murder of George Floyd. You know, Waterbury is a very white town. Uh, there's only a few of us uh, BIPOC folks here. This was also a call to rally our white folks to get behind the call, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, the lack of Black people in the area to speak up, I kind of felt obligated. David Fair organized a vigil and a rally in Bethel last June. Like I said, we're going to march from the bandshell all the way through town. And we're going to make it known that we're here, that we're tired of talking. When you organized these events last year, did you have specific goals in mind? Or was it something that you just kind of felt the need, the urge to do? My main goal was to basically shut down the town in a way that didn't like shut it down, but they couldn't ignore us. So like we marched through the entire town to the uh, state troopers barracks on one side of the road. You know what I mean? So we're not shutting down traffic. We're just letting you know, like, hey, you got to go around us. We're here. We're not going anywhere. This is what we're doing. And the fire department didn't like it. They backed out of supporting us for it, which is whatever. Everybody has their own things. But just because I don't have your support doesn't mean I'm not going to do what I think is right. So what do you think the result was? Uh, I think it was a mixed result. I think we pissed a lot of people off. I think I was astounded by how many people there were. I think by the time we were done, there were over a couple hundred people there. And like, there's a video of us just walking through town and there's, it just doesn't stop. I remember being in the front of the line and turning around and looking back and I couldn't see the end of the people. I was just like, where did all these people come from? It, it was good to see the amount of support, even with all the negativity. So it's, it's good to know that the people around here, some of the people around here do have your back. You know, when you gave this speech last summer, you ended it by saying, we did not come this far only to come this far. You know, you yeah. really seemed like ended on this forward looking note of people needing to to take action on what happened next. Now, I wonder, you know, at the time, where did you think that we would be a year from then? You know, like what what did you see coming out of this movement? Yeah, I think the number one thing is like just police reform and more trainings for our policemen and women. And I think there's been some change in that in the Montpelier area. And I think definitely in the Burlington area, they're still fighting today um, to have some police reform done. And I think along with that is just education, educating and awareing each other in your communities and families and your workplaces and going back into those, you know, communities and educating each other. I feel like 5,000 people were there. If they all had gone back and talked to one person, that would have been 10,000 people who would have heard this message and really maybe thought about the impact of police brutality on people of color. Maroney Minter said the protest in Waterbury led directly to the formation of a local anti-racism coalition. That group has helped elect two new select board members, and they've been active in equity issues in the school system. For example, we have advocated to and got the town to actually adopt a statement of inclusion. It's not our town website, just like a lot of other towns across the state. We have advocated for the town to change our elementary school name. Our elementary Thatcher Brook was named after Thatcher. Originally, the brook, we have a brook that goes from Waterbury and Duxbury. Originally, the 
the school was named after this brook. But folks didn't know that the brook was named after Thatcher Partridge, who is a former slave owner. We advocated for name change. The school has agreed and is now moving forward with the, pro- the process of selecting a new name for the school. Wow. So you've seen a lot of really concrete steps that have taken place in the last year. Yeah. Are there things that, on the other hand, have not changed? Are there things that you feel like uh, maybe you had hoped to see more immediate action on that haven't gone as far as you would like? Well, the one thing that hasn't changed, to be blunt with you, uh, Mike, uh, police killing of black and brown people has not stopped. Uh, in fact, we saw even more killing leading up to um, Chauvin's trial, even during the trial, and right after the verdict was announced. So to answer your question, the killing has not stopped, but I'm hopeful um, that as more and more policy reforms bill are passed and implemented across the country, uh, we will begin to see a shift. So I remain optimistic, but the killing just needs to stop. We'll be right back. Just a quick message from our underwriters. Community Health is Vermont's largest federally qualified health center. Affordable, accessible, quality primary health care at Community Health includes dental, pediatric, behavioral health, and pharmacy services. With practices in Rutland, Paulette, Shoreham, Brandon, and Castleton, new patients are always welcome. And centers are open seven days a week at Express Care in Rutland and Castleton. Community Health accepts Medicaid and offers sliding scale fees, making healthcare accessible to everyone. Community Health, your health is our mission. I guess the big question we're kind of trying to get at here is, you know, we're we're marking this date that's a year since George Floyd's killing. And we're just trying to get a sense of, you know, big picture, what's changed and what hasn't? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. What do you mean? There is nothing. The only things that, that has changed is I see cops speaking out against other cops a little bit more. As of right now, Derek Chauvin has not gotten away with it. But that's not to say that for me personally, pertaining to George Floyd, there nothing's going to change until sentencing. Right now, it's here's here's a cookie. Sit down and be quiet. I they I've been approached about doing a George Floyd tribute. I didn't want to do it until after the trial, because I don't know what kind of mood it's going to be. I don't know if the black community is going to be pissed off because this man got away with it again. I don't know if the black community is going to be relieved because now there's accountability. I haven't heard a lot of sense of relief at all. It's more like, oh, he's only going to get 10 to 12 years because he's a cop and he doesn't have any priors. Like, But if I go out and I kill somebody, whether it's an accident or not, I'm getting 15, 25 years. Did you watch the Chauvin verdict? I did. So... When the verdict was announced, I was driving from my grandmother's to my apartment. It was on BPR, and so I was listening. And uh, when it was announced that he was guilty in all three counts, I mean, I just, I started screaming, right? I remember I was screaming in the car and saying, yes, justice is served, justice is served. And then I got to my apartment, 
But then just sitting down on the couch, some, it's almost like something hit me. Just the fact that I was screaming, justice was served. It just, it felt wrong, right? It felt that true justice would have mean, meant that George Floyd would still be alive. So it kind of, something felt wrong to me to, for me to scream like that and, and just to feel that joy for a second. But at least it, it kind of showed some accountability, right? And I think for us, like people, just that one minute of celebrating is because for me, I was not expecting him to be charged, to be proven guilty. Uh, and, and that is due to the history of this country. So I think part of that, just brief joyous was because I wasn't expecting that. I think a lot of people thought it was justice and our accountability. And I don't think it is. I think it's a step into the right direction. But I think accountability and justice is something that happens over time. And we can really clearly see efforts in the justice and accountability. Um, and this is kind of the first, I feel like, you know, big trial that has been really held a cop accountable for their actions. And so I think as we see policemen be held more accountable over the years, that's when we can maybe change the narrative to justice is being served. Why do you think nothing's changed? That people aren't ready. Even as far like I'm on the equity and inclusion committee of Bethel and our job is to try and teach people. We were asked by the town select board to give them things that they, that we thought that they could do in order to learn some stuff. So we gave them um, some definitions to sit down and talk about in pairs. They didn't want to do that. So you're asking for all of this information, but then when we give you that information, you don't want to use it. For me, that's, that's like almost a smack in the face because it's just resistance. Like for no reason, you were doing exactly what you asked us to do, but you don't want to do it. And that's not to say all of the select boards like that. We have members who are actually, they sit in on our equity and inclusion committee and are very vital to what we're trying to do. But for everyone that's willing to help, you got two more that are just like, I don't want to do this. I, that's, that's, it's too hard to sit here and look at myself and try to relate to what other people are going through. I mean, if this video that so many people saw last year of this killing on camera, if that doesn't make people ready, I mean, if people aren't ready now, like what, what do you think it would take for people to be ready? It's a really tough question because I am personally torn because I don't want to keep talking. We've been talking for hundreds of years, peaceful, non-peaceful. We've tried it all. We've burned down cities. We've marched on the Capitol. We've peacefully, we marched on the Capitol. Meanwhile, you got Trump supporters sitting there breaking in windows and kicking in the door and what? And that's another thing that brings me to the fact that nothing's changed. If, there, if that was a Black Lives Matter uh, mob that had done what the Make America Great mob did, half of them would be dead. No questions asked, just, oh, you're trying to take over the country. You got to die. I, I can't. So back to your question about what it's going to take to make a serious change. I can't answer that. We're all, everybody is learning through trial and error. But I will say that if it doesn't change, it doesn't look good for us as a country. Because I know Black people are only going to take it for so much longer. I wonder if you could kind of help me connect the dots on how 
some of these actions you've talked about in a small town in the middle of Vermont, like Waterbury, can go on to have an impact and, and influence this broader conversation and this broader movement. You know, maybe even something like the Thatcher Brook name, as an example, getting that name change put through, what does that then mean to you or to some future BIPOC student who's going to school in Waterbury? First of all, I must say that when this was first brought to our attention, the whole idea of the school being named after Thatcher Partridge, a uh, former slave owner, I remember saying to the group that this is not what we started the Waterbury Anti-Racism Coalition for, hmm. because this is it's a historical school, and uh, so many families, so many kids have gone through the school, and so this will be a big, huge campaign that could take years. My thinking, what I said to the group, was that if we can get the students to lead this campaign so that parents are listening or hearing directly from students. Because if we come in as the Waterbury Anti-Racism Coalition wants to change Tasha Brook name, it's like, whoa, 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 what's, what is this, this group? Like, who are they, right? So to answer your question, what does that mean? My hope is that a town, a small town like this, again, very white, making these changes, we can be as an example to other towns. What that says to me is that right now there is this movement being led by students, young folks. There's a, there's a movement right now about removing police out of school. And in and, and my work with the ACLU, I work with, with students across the state. And they are leading that movement. And it means a lot. And I hope that other places, other towns are watching. And I hope that small changes like this will manifest throughout the states. And we can be as an example to the rest of the country, right? Waterbury can be as an example to the rest of the states. And if all towns start thinking like we are, and then the state as a whole will be a model for the rest of the country. So that's my hope. I think Vermont is, it's a very small place when not the people of color. And so I don't think Vermont has changed that much. Um, I think looking at other communities in other states, maybe they have had a little bit more change um, because they have more people of color to make that change for. I think we should, even though we have a small amount of people of color, we should still strive to do better every day. But I think since Vermont doesn't maybe see, like I, I honestly believe that people in Vermont could go their whole lives without interacting with a person of color if they wanted to. And that says a lot about where we live and I definitely think we should be asking ourselves why people of color don't live here and why they come and might not stay. Because if Vermont is as welcoming and friendly as most people say, we should be able to foster more communities of color and make them feel welcomed. How do we do that? Uh, I mean, I think it comes within everything, like hiring you know, teachers of color and I, representation is huge. And growing up, I never really saw people like myself and I didn't have a teacher of color till college at UVM. And so, yeah, as a child, if you don't see yourself representing in your community, you don't really know how far you can achieve and what you can achieve and where you can go when you don't see yourself accomplishing what other people can accomplish. Um, and even in the media, I think just now there's a lot more um, representation of people of color in a lot of positions, which is encouraging, but it definitely has to be within your own community as well. Education. And it's not just education of white people. I know 
black people that don't know about Black Wall Street. I personally didn't even know about Black Wall Street. I didn't know about Black Wall Street. I didn't know about Juneteenth. I didn't know about a lot of these things. Emmett Till. I didn't know who Emmett Till was until after I graduated high school. That doesn't make any sense. But then we sit here and we believe everything that's written in these history books in school. Well, where's the rest of it? So I, I feel like history books need to be ripped up and they need to be rewritten with the truth. I think education is power and it really does start in your schools and as a child, it's, it's not too young ever to talk about raising kids. And I wish I had more education about myself and my like black people and black history in my years of you know middle school and high school. And I've gotten a little bit of that in college, but so for some people who, you know, college might be a little bit too late to kind of educate and change people's minds about race or like, you know, United States history, because they've always learned one, you know, one story. For a while, there has been, prior to George Floyd's murder, whether in my work at the ACLU or my personal work that I'm doing in the community advocating for police reform, or law or change in a criminal justice legal system in general, there was a lot of push. And a lot of that push is there's this sense of denial, and even from policymakers, right? And I heard this a lot. Um, We don't need to do this. For example, even during when George Floyd's murder happened, when we were advocating for policy change, I heard this directly from policymakers. What happened in Minneapolis does not happen here in Vermont. So Vermonters are so proud of their state, right? And, and sometimes they act as if Vermont is immune to racism and other things. And I can tell you Vermont is not immune. And usually a lot of that pushback comes from white people who don't experience what we experience, what I experience as a black man. The fact that so many, not just BIPOC, but again, white people have stepped in and said, no, things need to change. That has shift. Even those policymakers that I heard directly that, oh, we don't need to do this because it doesn't happen here, have reached out to me directly and said, you're right, we have heard loudly. And understanding that it's not, it's not whether it happens here or not. I mentioned, I talked earlier about, we can be an example to the rest of the country. So whether George Fuller got killed here or not, it doesn't mean we don't have to pass policies that would prevent those kind of things from happening. And again, we can do that and be a model to the rest of the nation. So I have seen that shift. I think that especially just feeling more welcomed, I think a lot of people have, you know, Black Lives Matter signs either on their cars or their houses or their businesses downtown. And so just even seeing that, those words, gives me a little bit more assurance that, you know, people are talking about this and people are listening and they care about Black lives. You can read more about racial justice in Vermont at vtdigger.org. Thanks to Noelle Ribey-Williams, Maroney Minter, and David Fair for joining us this week. Noelle and David are both organizing Juneteenth events this year. If you want to celebrate, you can find them on June 19th at the Vermont State House in Montpelier and at the Bethel Banshell. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We used music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. See you then.